Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Dr. Ron, Unfiltered, Uncensored. This is your host, Dr. Ron. Growing uh, pains here. Welcome. Welcome to our 28th show of this year and our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, this program contains general medical information. The medical information heard on this program is not advice and should not be treated as such. We are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this program with other sources. All information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician. So, welcome again. I welcome you with uh, attitude of gratitude. And I keep saying, why do we stop making this uh, gratitude practice only for the holidays? You've heard it before. Having an attitude of gratitude makes you happier. But did you know it can make you healthier? One reason is because a feeling of gratitude makes us see things from a more optimistic point of view. Being optimistic has been shown to lower blood pressure, help you get a better night's sleep. And hear this, increase longevity. And it also helps us bounce back faster from stressful situations. And gosh, do we live in uh, stressful times right now? So we could uh, use that attitude of gratitude. So ladies and gentlemen, life may not be the party we hope for, but while we're here, we might as well dance, huh? And so this program is dedicated to uh, teaching you and educating you so that you can be the CEO of your own body. Uh, you have the right to ask questions and get answers before you let anything done to it. Well, we have a great uh, show last week on uh, Blog Talk Radio on the immune system. And that's uh, better than I thought. So thank you uh, for listening. And one of the things I, I talked about last week was social relationships, social relationships, and how important, how important social relationships are to your immunity. And it turns out it, it, it's even more so than, than, than what I told my audience and between you last week. And so social relationships, which, you know, makes you, you just, if you're feeling isolated, and you have a lot of fear, your immune system is going to go down. And what you need to keep up during this stressful time of the COVID is your relationships and your immunity. Because I told you, social connections increase longevity by 50%. They increase your immune system. They make you recover faster. So all this is really, really important. Okay, so. There were articles out this week showing that uh, relationships are really important, uh, even for the gut, your gut bacteria. Okay? And what, where does 80% of your immune system lie? It's in the gut. It's in the gut. And also there was an article in, the, in uh, from, coming from the, the United Kingdom. It talked about your personality how sociable you are may hinge on the bacteria in your gut. So it's a two-way street, right? Gut-brain axis. So eat healthy, be active, try and reduce your stress. Got to keep working on that. And uh, plenty of sleep, right? Good restorative sleep, eight hours a day. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about food light. Prevent some of that emotional baggage. So we're going to try and be here on uh, Podbean now to teach, educate, and advise. Here we'll be open to suggestions. And next week we will have Dr. Will Wong on our show. He's a well-renowned uh, naturopathic physician, a PhD, and a uh, owner of a great uh, supplement company. He makes one of the strongest systemic enzymes known in the United States, maybe in the world. So Dr. Will Wong, a, a terrific guy, will be on our program next week. So just a few facts that maybe you haven't heard. Because, you know, uh, most people these days are watching television. I advise against it. But you know, I hope you have not succumbed to analysis by paralysis, by confusion and fear. Okay? You have to critically think about something. Don't want to be a robotic sheeple. 
want facts. Just don't want to be led. Just because the New York Times or somebody says something, it doesn't mean it's correct. What is their motive? What is true and what is false? Well, I'm not going to go into the politics of it, but I just will tell you that the COVID virus has not been identified, has not met Koch's postulates, and they have sequences of it, but they have not isolated the COVID virus. That as it may, this thing is infectious, whatever it is, and hand washing is critical. PCR testing is not accurate. PCR means polymerase chain reaction, PCR test. It's able to replicate DNA sequences billions of times. We talked about this in many shows prior. If you're not a regular listener, just a brief summary. PCR tests can only tell you if a virus is present or not and not tell you in what quantities. You cannot make an accurate assessment about whether the virus is actually causing the disease. And the CDC admits that. They admit that a positive PCR test does not mean the virus is causing any of the symptoms you may have. How about that? So, Think about this, if this scientific so-called gold standard PCR test does not prove that a virus is causing a disease, why is everyone rushing around like a chicken with a head cut off to get this test? Even the inventor of the test said it's for it is not for diagnosis. And ladies and gentlemen, the official death count is really not that accurate. If someone dies after testing positive for a parasite infection, are they listed as a parasite death? They get tested for a fungus, are they listed as a fungal death? If they're positive for herpes virus, are they listed as a herpes death? See the problem? Anyone with any kind of coronavirus either with a test or presumed to have a coronavirus is listed as a death from corona. So is corona, is COVID-19, is this Chinese virus exploding in the United States? It, it, no, it, what is exploding is more testing. The more we test, the more cases we will find. How about the social distance? Isn't that interesting? Depends on the country. This Chinese virus is able to travel different distances. For instance, in China, Denmark, and France, social distance rule is one meter. In South Korea, it's 1.4 meters. In Australia, Belgium, Germany, and Spain, it's 1.5 meters. In the United States, it's 1.8 meters, six feet. Well, in Canada and the UK, it's two meters. About that science. But remember, as we've been talking about, social isolation can increase the risk of a variety of health problems, including heart disease, depression, dementia, and even death. How about all the extra suicides we're seeing, all the domestic violence we're seeing? You know, there is a study, a meta analysis that showed in 2015 that chronic social isolation increases the risk of mortality by 29%. You think we have as many deaths as they say we do? Most people are more likely to wind up six feet under due to almost anything else under the sun other than COVID. CDC for the first time has attempted to offer a real estimate of the overall death rate for COVID-19 and under its most likely scenario, the number is 0.26%. The 
officials estimate that a 0.4% fatality rate among those who are symptomatic, and they project a 35% rate of asymptomatic cases among those infected. This drops the overall infection fatality rate to 0.2%. That's exactly what Stanford researchers pegged a month ago. We talked about that. Infectious disease experts, other than uh, Dr. Tony from Canada, estimate that the individual rate of death from COVID-19 for people under 65 years of age is six per million. That's Get this now, count the zeros, 0. 0.006, one in 166,666. You know what? That's about the same chance of uh, dying in a car accident or getting struck by lightning. If COVID does not, this Chinese virus not, does not even to be as bad as the seasonal flu. We talked about masks, I'm not gonna, Go into that again, but wearing a mask is like putting a screen door in a submarine. It's a, it's a psychological operation. It does nothing to protect you nor the people around you. In fact, the people that wear masks probably are sicker for it because they inhale their own spit and carbon dioxide, they, you know, drop in oxygen, and that's not good for your immunity. There's something no one's talking about. All these masks have to be disposed of. Okay, so all this, they wear them on their chin, they, they sweat on them, then they put them up on their nose and breathe and stuff in. So that's what I have to say about the COVID. It's afraid of that. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about what's happening in Italy because Italy was like the, the epicenter of the virus, remember how bad it was? Well, they have a National Institute of Health there and they worked on color the facts. Guess what they found? Their initial finding, the average age of so-called COVID deaths was 79.5 years of age. The vast majority of these elderly patients had serious prior medical conditions. In other words, there was no reason to suspect they died because of a new virus. Then the Institute decided there were only three people under the age of 40 in the whole country of Italy who could be said to have died as a result of the virus. The U.S. as they said that, the Italian National Institute of Health has gone dark, been choked off. And in Florida, we have another hoax going on, and I'm not going to go into that right now. It's going to be crazy what's going on in Florida. The person gets tested. One for the same person gets tested four times, they have positive tests each time, it's considered a positive test. From 22 different labs, 100% of the tests that they were positive. What's going on here, ladies and gentlemen? What is going on? Hard to fathom. Okay. All right, so today, a few things I think you should know. First of all, don't believe everything you hear on television. There's a lot of unfounded COVID assumptions. And those of you who have listened to me know about IPADA, the inverted pyramidal proliferation of theoretical assumptions. And if you start with one flawed assumption, all the rest of it just fall over like a inverted triangle. There are, there, you know, we just talked about some assumptions, how they're counted, the testing, and uh, this was, it, it, it's, it's all false. The test we didn't mention is the antibody test. And you know, that's been tested positive because it, it's not specific for COVID-19. Anybody has any coronavirus and they're exposed to God knows how many years. And remember, please remember, you know, we have more DNA from, from our viruses and bacteria than we do of our own. We have about 60 trillion bacteria in our body. We have about 380 trillion viruses. We have a small number of fungi. How many human cells we have? Uh, more than six trillion. Uh, so, uh, 
Uh, I didn't want to talk too much about, about this COVID because we've been talking about it every week and uh, it just gets crazy. It gets really crazy. So, ladies and gentlemen, is coffee safe to drink? How much should you drink? What are the benefits? How much is too much? Well, the consensus is a moderate amount for healthy adults maxes out about 500 milligrams of caffeine per day, which is about five cups of homebrewed regular coffee or a little more than one grande at Starbucks. That has about 360 milligrams of caffeine. For women that are pregnant, it is less, around 200 milligrams or less, or not at all for pregnant. Because there have been a study here in the end that showed that pregnant women who drink a lot of coffee uh, have uh, low birth weight. Infants, uh, they may have a preterm birth. So most of the health experts are recommending drinking between one and two cups a day, ideally, which is associated with negative reactions, but most seems to be beneficial for most people. So what are the health benefits? You know, coffee is a high source of antioxidants. Look at that. Antioxidants in coffee. Don't feel guilty about drinking it. Because some sources show that coffee is a natural anti-aging beverage with potentially more antioxidant activity than cocoa and even some form of tea leaves. Well, how does it compare? Well, research is showing that an average cup of coffee might even contain more polyphenol antioxidants than cocoa, more than green tea, more than black tea, more than herb tea. For a lot of people, coffee supplies as much as 70% of the total amount of antioxidants in their daily diet. Guess what? Coffee fights free radical damage because it increases the antioxidants in the blood. Isn't that something? Coffee contains, as I say, polyphenols, which are the same kind that are found in red wine. And the, this can attribute to higher immunity and lower rates of oxidative stress. Does that translate to potentially increased disease prevention? Now, it's, it's going to be good to have more research, but Science is never settled, ladies and gentlemen. Science is never settled, so it's always good to have more research. But it's believed that coffee's anti-inflammatory effects could be widespread, and that it could be listed as an anti-inflammatory food. I talked a little bit about what Dr. Ralph Moss thinks about coffee. He's a cancer specialist from, from Sloan Kettering. He's on our show about a, a year ago. Okay. So, can coffee improve your heart health or your cardiovascular disease? Unfiltered coffee is a significant source of cafestol, C-A-F-E-S-T-O-L, and calowel, K-A-H-W-E-O-L, which are antioxidants, which are diterpene compounds, and they have been implicated in cholesterol balancing effects. So in a large epidemiological study, which they asked a lot of people about their coffee habits, they had an overall reduced mortality of all causes and cardiovascular disease. They found that coffee intake is associated with lower risk of heart failure and stroke. And surprising to me, even though it was found to be neutral for heart arrhythmia even though some people feel it makes the heart beat faster. And if it does, you know, you have to listen to your body. But I'm, we're talking overall. So this study was both caffeinated and decaffeinated coffee. And I found that consuming three or four cups of caffeinated or decaffeinated coffee reduces cardiovascular related deaths by 19% and cardiovascular disease by 15%. And that was compared to no drinking at all coffee. And how about this? And who doesn't need this as we age? Here's some good news for you. 
There's good news for us coffee drinkers. Some evidence exists that shows the beneficial antioxidants in coffee may help to protect against Parkinson's disease and may prevent dementia acting as a natural Alzheimer's disease treatment. Remember I said the word may, not proven, but it hasn't, you haven't seen anything negative either. A lot of studies were done on mice. Always can't, you can't always make the jump to humans, but there have been a lot of studies in, in animals and the epidemiological studies in humans. The researchers believe that the cognitive, the brain benefits of caffeine is, are due to the caffeine itself and not to the metabolites. So you know what that means? Sorry to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, but the decaffeinated varieties won't be beneficial because there's no caffeine in it. Caffeine appears to provide its brain disease modifying effects through a lot of mechanisms. Lots of different chemicals that you can't even pronounce. But probably the, the common factor is it lowers inflammation. And remember, we have talked for five years that inflammation is the basis of most chronic diseases. A possibility here, it might reverse diabetes naturally. Of course, you would have to be avoiding sugary drinks, drinking plenty of water and doing all the other things, but coffee might be the next best drink for you. Think about that. We don't know the answer really, but there's a good deal of evidence that drinking coffee will significantly lower your risk for type two diabetes. And maybe even less than six cups a day might be beneficial. They did a study on nurses called the Nurse, Nurses Health Study. Two or three cups a day of coffee lowers the incidence of type 2 diabetes and decreased gallstone formation in that study, the Nurses Health Study. Again, due to the metabolites of caffeine. Now, there was one study to be, to tell you the other side, that showed chronic coffee consumption may increase blood sugar slightly, but it, it, it did not do, appear to be significant. And, you know, it can increase your physical performance and endurance. There's a lot of studies that show that coffee increases alertness and improves mental and physical performance in the short run. So you may get a little bit of increased blood sugar from caffeine, from coffee, but it's actually good for athletes who need blood sugar, their blood sugar to go up, right? In order to fuel their muscles before any activity they do physically. So have some, how about your liver? Well, there are several studies we found that consistently show that Coffee drinkers have a reduced risk of abnormal liver function study. One of the archives of internal medicine showed that coffee may protect against alcoholic liver disease. For every one cup of coffee a day, up to four times a day, the study showed a 20% reduction in alcoholic liver syndrome. Another study showed decreasing risk for hepatic cirrhosis and even liver cancer. What are their risks? Well, coffee is known to be one of the most contaminated crops in the world. Best if you could buy and afford to buy drink and drink organic coffee whenever possible. Why? Because coffee is sprayed heavily with pesticides and chemicals. There's another kind of coffee out there called shade grown coffee. It's a traditional way of growing it. wanted you to be aware of that. And then, you know, you may have your own personal tolerance. I mean, you'd left to listen to your body, right? That's what we preach about, listen to your body. If you're having anxiety problems and when you find you're having anxiety or sleep problems when you're drinking coffee or having palpitations, you know, 
may not be for you. Talking uh, statistically, it, is, it should not be bad, but if it's not for you, you're 100% of the equations. Don't drink it. So some people are more sensitive to caffeine than others. And experience what, what some, some type of adverse reaction, right? Like anxiety, nervousness, system problems. So the bottom line is both coffee and traditional teas containing caffeine are loaded with antioxidants. And virtually every scientific reference on the subject suggests that coffee's active ingredient, especially chlorogenic acid, may actually contribute to the prevention of chronic disease. So that being said, be careful what you put in your coffee especially those damaging fake creamers and artificial sugars. Take notice of them. Why? You know that these artificial, these creamers, you know what they have in them? High fructose corn syrup. That damages your mitochondria. That damages energy, energy functions of your cells. Partially hydrogenated soybean oil. That's a trans fat, causes inflammation. Sodium sterile lactate, that's an additive used as a cleanser, cloning agent, and emulsifier in cosmetics. How do you like drinking that with your coffee? Dipotassium phosphate, that's in creamers. You know what that's used for? Fertilizer and cosmetics. Mono and diglycerides. derived from partially hydrogenated oils and are synthetic. Sodium caseinate, often treated with the chemical sodium hydroxide, which can damage or suppress nutrient absorption. And the artificial sweeteners, how many programs have we done on that, ladies and gentlemen? They make you hungrier, they raise your blood sugar, they reset your desire for sugar and probably worse than sugar and fructose itself aspartame for instance is shown in numerous studies to increase weight gain so people think they're doing great by having a aspartame that's equal it's shown to worsen insulin sensitivity and can cause cancer and neurological problems You might be you might be tempted to use honey or agave. Just know that they have high amounts of fructose and may be highly processed. But you might want to try the herb stevia. This does not raise your blood glucose level like sugar. Probably what is, in my opinion, one of the safest alternatives for sugar. So coffee is not all that bad. But we really make it necessary. A study out of the University of California Irvine revealed that consumption of moderate amounts of alcohol and coffee is linked to living a longer life. Let me just read that again because I didn't read it myself. Irving, California Irving study revealed the consumption of Moderate amounts of alcohol and coffee linked to a living a longer life. Of course, the key word in this in this whole study was the word moderate. The study was called 90 Plus. Started in 2003 and examined the oldest old age group, about 1,700 nonagenarians, 90-year-olds, to determine what is to living to your 90th birthday and beyond. The study found, among other things, that people who drank moderate amounts of alcohol or coffee lived longer than those who abstained, that people who were overweight in their 70s lived longer than normal and, and underweight people that did not drink coffee or alcohol. 
they, there was no conclusion in the study why this was so, so prominent that alcohol and coffee increased longevity. Researchers found that subjects who drank two glasses of beer or wine every day decreased their chances of a premature death by 18%. And those who drank two cups of coffee a day decreased their chances of premature death by 10%. But remember, sorry about this, you still have to exercise. Regular exercise, as well as keeping busy with a regular hobby, they felt was the key to living a long life. I have an article here in Give me a second, please. Okay, so the title of Dr. Moss, now he's not a, he's not a medical doctor. He's a Sloan Kettering, and he's a consultant for cancer. The title of his article is, Coffee Prevents Cancer, but nine out of 10 are making it wrong. So what he says is coffee is a helpful habit that helps prevent some kinds of cancer, and Italian style coffee in particular, may prevent cancer of the prostate gland. As a rule, this is from his article, coffee gets a bad rap in medical circles. Those writers focus on its ability to, to disrupt sleep. It may interfere with opioid painkillers and a few other medications, but a 2019 DaVita cancer textbook raises concerns about caffeine's effect on stomach acid, whatever. So by all means, if you're fighting cancer, discuss any changes in your Coffee habits with your doctor because Dr. Moss says high coffee intake reduces the risk of liver cancer by 50%. Got pretty good odds. For some cancers, both caffeinated and decaffeinated coffee are equally effective. Coffee prevents cancer of the endometrium, that's the, the lining of the uterus in a woman. Regular decaffeinated coffee use is associated with lower rectal cancer incidence. Localized, not advanced. Prostate cancer is also reduced by regular coffee consumption. And, and ladies and gentlemen, this is to get your attention. The risk of melanoma is also reduced by 20% from regular coffee consumption. And so again, is, there, is this the answer? No, but coffee is not bad. Use it in moderation. You can without a filter. And you may have a decrease in, in these uh, answers that we talked about. So he goes on to talk about unfiltered coffee. And his conclusions are for millions of people around the world, coffee drinking is a pleasurable part of the daily grind. There are some health concerns. We talked about them, insomnia and jitteriness and anxiety. So if you're thinking of changing your coffee habits, discuss it with your doctor or your provider. However, for most people, coffee will do no harm and may do a whole lot of good. Particularly so, gentlemen, if you're dealing with prostate cancer and it's localized. There are reports out of Italy, very encouraging. Indulging in three cups of espresso or cappuccino per day is no punishment, and it may just be the thing for keeping the prostate cancer at bay. Okay, so just want to bring that to your attention. Those of you who know, my, know this program know that I uh, have a lot of uh, faith in Dr. Moss and have referred patients to him to get his opinion on their treatments. And I have lots and lots of other articles I can share with you, but I'm not, but just, I just, I think you get the idea that coffee gets a bad rap, but it's almost everyone's drink of choice, right? When you gather and gather around, but it has a lot of power, has a lot of medicinal benefits. 
And it kind of it kind of impacted all of everything else we said, your weight, your mood, your cancer. Who, who doesn't like to be in a better mood stay, right? So there's study after study with, with, with that show that uh, there is no real bad side effects from coffee unless you're sensitive to it. But again, in moderation, moderation. So what other thing we want to talk about is, is not going blind. I mean, everybody, we're in the house a lot these days. And uh, what are we doing? We're, we're we using our phones. We're watching our, our computer, computer screens. So this Monday, the Journal of Environmental Health Perspectives they were, they were talking about artificial lights and how they might be associated with breast and prostate cancers. This study was done in Barcelona and Madrid, Spain. So the title of their study was Blue Light, Light Back from Smartphones was linked to some cancer study finds. So I'm not going to go through this whole study, but we, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this about the blue lights. It's, it's really important, you know. We're, if you don't, you need a good blue light blocker app on your on your uh, on your phone, and uh, if not, you could use some light blocking glasses. A nighttime blue light exposure can derange the rhythm, your normal circadian rhythm. It's the culprit behind many, many chronic illnesses, ladies and gentlemen, including obesity, metabolic syndrome, and cancer. And I will tell you that blue light exposure during the day is beneficial. That can get we're getting from the sun. So what is what is it? Light is part of an electromagnetic spectrum and comes in a variety of wavelengths. It's visible and invisible light, right? The non-visible light includes the ultraviolet, the ultraviolet rays, the infrared light, the whole spectrum of, of rainbow of light, including light. Within the visible light spectrum, each wavelength is represented by a color. Of all the different colors of the visible light spectrum, blue light, and if they can measure it, it's 446 to 477 nanometers. Has the strongest impact on physiology and circadian rhythm. Because we have light pigments that recognize lights in this wavelength. So what have we evolved? We've evolved to rise with the sun and go to bed when the sun sets. But before, this was before technology. Before technology, humans only used light sources that emitted a yellow-orange-red light, such as fire, candles, and lamps. They had a lot less effect on our rhythms, our sleep cycles, compared to blue light. Nowadays, with the advances in technology and television and computers and digital clocks, we have more blue light, more blue-white light in our environment. And these lights are available all hours. So, we have LED lights we have uh, at our screens. So light exposure anchors doing bodily functions through the rise and fall of the sun, right? When the sunlight, which contains blue light, hits the retina, receptors in our retina transmit impulses to our hypothalamus. It's in our brain. It's the command center. What does it command? Hunger, thirst, temperature regulation, hormone secretion, sleep pattern. Okay, so all the light goes in and goes to our retina and then to our brain, to specifically the hypothalamus. You know, a lot of people, uh, if you don't know it, they consider the retina as part of the central nervous system. 
because it's connected to the brain through the optic nerve. So it really is part of the optic nerve. Some people just think of it that way. And there's lots of nerve cells in there and there's lots of nuclei. We're not gonna go into all the chemistry, but blue light at night disrupts your, your circadian rhythm. So normally darkness at night allows for a normal output of what? Melatonin. Okay. You, by the way, your peak melatonin output is between 2 and 4 a.m. Bright daylight then follows, clock gets reset, and then you begin a new 24-hour cycle. Exposure to blue light at night signals to your body that it's daytime, 2 to 4 o'clock in the morning, and consequently messes you up. It lowers your melatonin production. That's why we have recommended three milligrams of melatonin at night around nine o'clock to get you ready to supplement your own body's melatonin. But just as important, blue light at night can raise your cortisol levels. You notice you sometimes you watch television late at night or on your computer late at night and you can have a hard time falling asleep. Well, if you have too much cortisol, you have decreased immunity, you have too much adrenal activity. And then you have altered sleep quality. This all comes from watching TV and on our phone late at night without any protection. And we talked about how coffee can help diabetes. Well, it looks like artificial blue light can alter your sugar metabolism. You know, again, this light at night disrupts the circadian clock of your pancreas and how much insulin it puts out. Raise your insulin of heart disease. <coughs> shift workers, how much heart disease they have. This might be one of the reasons that blue light disruption of circadian rhythm. And really important, ladies and gentlemen, blue light at night can contribute to age-related macular degeneration. And there's lots of reasons for it, the free radicals and that, are, that, that it, that it uh, causes in the retina, reduced melanin, not melan melatonin, but melanin. That's a pigment with antioxidant properties that can prevent eye damage in the retina. It decreases that. Blue light at night can contribute to glaucoma. Blue light at night can contribute to glaucoma. Depression, cancer risks. It has a lot of great effects during the day, but you don't want it at night because it could help healing and reproductive hormones and so forth. But what is really important though, is at night. So you want to get all your sunlight during the day, right? Which is normal, you gotta get all your blue light. Use blue blocking glasses after sunset. One that is blue blocking light their glasses. You want to start wearing them uh, about four hours before you want to go to bed. And that's when they're most effective. In our household, uh, we put them on the, around eight o'clock at night. Eight o'clock at night, whatever works for you. You go to bed, uh, figure four, two to four hours before bedtime. And then put on some some sort of iris program, something to decrease the light emitting from your devices. So that's one of many many studies on blue light. And just since we're home and there are phones and everything, please, ladies and gentlemen. Take note of that. All right, so let's see, we have a lot of listeners here and I don't know whether anyone, I don't know how to use this phone yet. Let's see, um, we're in the live studio. Not exactly sure of uh, 
how to get you on the on the phone. But I'll be learning, ladies and gentlemen. It's only my first full-length podcast on that. See, I've been talking for like 46 minutes already. All right, so we talked about COVID, what to believe, what not to believe, but more importantly, use your mind, don't be a sheeple. Number two, coffee. Generally good for most people and with a lot of good effects. But if you're sensitive to it and it keeps you up at night, you feel your heart beating rapidly, don't do it. Okay. And thirdly, blue light, how it can disrupt your circadian rhythm and uh, cause cancer, cause macular degeneration, glaucoma. So here we're trying to do everything to prevent diabetes and metabolic syndrome. Here uh, we're in front of our computers without blue light blocking glasses. So, uh, this is a, it's a rabbi, I'm new here too. This is my first full podcast on Podbeam, although I have 304 podcasts on my previous host, Blog Talk Radio. We're making the transition, trying to learn this new studio setup. And thank you for joining. And, uh, I'll figure out how to get these calls working. And I have a dear friend used to play for BB King. And uh, Freddie did write me that opening song that you guys all heard. And he wrote me a song for the end of my program. So uh, I appreciate all everyone that's listening. And I'm sorry if I'm being a bad host by not taking calls. But I don't know everything I'm doing with this podcast right now. But we'll be back next week with Dr. William Wong. Dr. Wong is a fantastic guest. He's been my guest probably six times. He makes the world's best systemic enzyme. You stop making enzymes when you're 27. And when you get out of enzymes, you die. The next week at 4 p.m. and every Tuesday at 4 p.m., I'll be here. If I'm not here, I'll hear the best of Dr. Rano filtered uncensored. But uh, Dr. Will Wong, and then uh, we'll have Dr. Professor Peskin back again to explain the dangers of fish oils, marine lipids, and why you should be taking a a plant-based plant-based omega-3, omega-6 supplement. And thank you. I see I have a caller. A listener from Africa, God bless you, and thank you for calling in or listening in. But I've been at this now for six years, and I uh, just thought we'd make a switch to Podbean because they, they reach all over the place. And uh, we'll be here as our, our time is Tuesdays at four. And I, I have some great guests planned for this program. I have to get a little bit more familiar with the uh, board here, how to use it, and they probably need an administrator screen calls. So I think it's going to work out fine. I'm on Alexa. I'm on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, all those all the different platforms where you see podcasts. The Rabbi and all the other listeners, Bingo, thank you for tuning in. Hopefully they'll put me on the uh, live show list now that I have my first full show. I did live, and uh, we will see you next week. Have a great, great week. Thank you.
Thank you. 